This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah, yeah, yes. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, Brian Calm. As always, hey, Elon. How's it going? <laughs> Pretty good. Man, we've got an exciting week. As always, so many players to talk about. I say that all the time, so people might think, oh, this is BS. He just says it. That's part of his shtick. But, I mean, we do. We did last week. Last week, we had our longest episode ever, maybe maybe even too long. And this week, it's probably not going to be too different. We've got a lot. But, okay, first, dailyfaceoff.com. We are presented by this website. It's a great website. We're very proud to be presented by dailyfaceoff.com because that's where you go. You see the line combos. You see the starting goalies. You see fantasy news. And in fact, I was on Twitter on Friday and I saw breaking news from Daily Faceoff that David Perrin had been traded from the Edmonton Oilers to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And so right away, I went to Brian and my joint league where I knew that David Perrin was a free agent grabbed him. Oh, it felt so good to see those numbers rise of all of the people acquiring Perrin, and we are one of them. But yeah, that's definitely the number one headline of the week. The Penguins have a new member of their top six, which, you know, they've had a lot of injuries, so clearly they could use him now. But you would think that a guy like David Perrin, who had 28 goals and 57 points last year, should fit right in even once the horn fists and guys like that come back. So, Brian, how big of a deal is this for David Perrin? Is he the new Pascal Dupuis? Or is he even higher? Like, what do you think David Perrin's potential is now that he's on the Pittsburgh Penguins? It's high. I actually, Dupuis is a good comparable. And I think even Patrick Hornqvist is what I thought when Parent was traded over. Remember, he was like a 20-goal guy with the Blues. That was his, seemed to be his potential. He could get, you know, 40 or 50 points. But I think people always sort of saw that he could do more, and he did in Edmonton last year. And we talked about that a lot, and I think we've probably referenced it this year too, when he was just shooting the lights out. He had 28 goals, 29 assists for 57 points, and the big number was 220 shots on goal. This year, everybody was really frustrated because, well, his shot counts already slowed down towards the end of last season, but this season, they didn't pick up again. Things just weren't going well in Edmonton for him at all. He didn't even average two shots on goal a game, 
And to compound that difficulty, he was also scoring at about half of his career shooting success rate. After his first game in Pittsburgh, I think the most exciting number that I have taken away from it is the number six. That's how many shots on goal he had during the game in about the same ice time, actually maybe a minute or two less than he was seeing at Edmonton. He's only gotten six shots on goal once this season so far. He's not going to do it every game, but it is nice that he's there. He's getting the offensive opportunity. He played on a line most of the game with Crosby and Downey. Strangely enough, side note, Evgeny Malkin played with Nick Spalling and Brian Rust yesterday, but it doesn't really matter for Malkin owners. He'll be good wherever, and Obviously, that's not going to last. We'll see what happens with Steve Downey on that top line. I don't think he has much business being there. Also getting the power play time that he's getting. I imagine Malkin moves back into the top six. I I imagine. I'm going out on a limb here. And then I think Bennett, Sutter, or Kunitz uh, will supplant Downey. I'm guessing Kunitz on that top line. Yeah, sticking with your side note for a second, Steve Downey actually has been kind of surprising. He's having a more offensive year than one would expect. Since he came back from injury, he has two goals and an assist in two games. Overall, he has 20 points in 34 games on the season. I wonder if he's earned himself a spot in the top six. And I wonder, okay, once all the injuries are over, once we've got Hornqvist back, I'd imagine for sure there's going to be Crosby, Kunitz, and Hornqvist on the first line, just like it was before. And then you would have Malkin Perrin, And yeah, that leaves one spot for another lucky player. I wonder who it'll be. I think it should be Brandon Sutter. I'm not really sold on Steve Downey. What he's done lately is something that a lot of NHL players could probably do when playing with Sidney Crosby. His shot counts are really low, but if your league counts penalty minutes well, he makes up for it there and hits too. He was a good guy to own like a few years ago, but he's been silent in terms of production for a little while. I don't know, he seems to come and go. Like, keep in mind, this is somebody who has played for the Flyers on three separate occasions, like left and come back, left and come back, and was originally drafted by them too. I don't think he's a guy who sticks around in one place doing the same thing for very long. But as a short-term option until Hornquist returns or as a penalty minute option for the rest of the season, I suppose you could do a lot worse. Okay, and back to the main point of all of this. David Perrin, what's your projection? You've said that you think he's good. You're saying Patrick Hornquist good, almost a point per game. Because if you think it's less, maybe now's a great time to sell high. If you're one of the 12, 13,000 people who added Perrin to their roster on Friday in Yahoo, maybe now's the time where he's at his hottest, especially after he scored a goal yesterday. Maybe you can trade him for a 60, 70 point player, which is more than he's ever done. Do you think it's time to consider doing that? Or do you really think Perrin is the real deal? And if you have him, you should hold on and ride it out. I think he'd be a really exciting player to hold on to. And that's I think one of the reasons in fantasy, it's it's not really a numbers reason. It's just like, it's going to feel good to make the ad and watch this guy succeed. But if you're looking to make a trade, I would consider valuing him around, say, a 60-point player. I think that's a safe estimate for what he's going to do for the rest of the season. And so if you can trade him for somebody who's, say, a 70-point player, then I would do that for sure. And I don't know, maybe he'll get a little bit more, a little bit less than that. It's so hard to say right now, especially with the injuries in the Penguins lineup. But I think the stability that he offers the Penguins and the stability that the Penguins offer him is going to work out well for both parties. And personally, he's a guy I'd want to have on my roster, unless like I could somehow trade him for, like, Jamie Benn. Yeah, and I'm looking on ESPN... 
Perrin's only 48.6% owned at what? time of recording. So definitely if you're someone in a league where Perrin hasn't been picked up, obviously if Brian is saying that he's a safe bet for 60-point pace, you want him. You want him right now. So go pick him up. Yeah, 60% owned in Yahoo. So 40% of you out there, well, hypothetically, should be able to go get him. Go. Now. Check. Okay, let's talk about some injuries now. You know, Brian, we can't get a week without a couple of injuries to talk about. It's kind of sad. What's going on in the NHL? These people need to be careful. But, okay, I'll get off my soapbox. Let's just focus on the facts. The biggest injury probably to report is Christopher Stieg of Chicago is probably going to be out for like a month. And we were just talking about him last week. We were having a segment about Patrick Sharp. And we were saying how it was so surprising how Sharp was down on the third or fourth line while Christopher Stieg got to stick in his role playing with Patrick Kane. But obviously that's not going to be the case for the next month. I've already seen on Daily Faceoff that they've moved Sharp into the top six. So Brian, is there anything else we can glean from this in terms of players on Chicago getting opportunities or losing their opportunities? Or is it just a matter of Versteeg is out? Patrick Sharp goes up to where Versteeg was. Yeah, Elon, actually, I think that's it. It's a very, well, injuries are never convenient, but it's convenient for Chicago in that they can just slide another guy in. I suppose if they want to keep this going really balanced, maybe Sharp does stay down, but I'm looking at their depth chart and I'm, I'm not really sure who could get moved up into where Versteeg was playing. So I guess Sharp is the immediate benefactor, probably. Although, like we said last week, he doesn't need a whole lot of help. So I've noticed two players that I want to ask you if maybe there's something there. So first of all, on Daily Faceoff, on the first power play on Chicago right now, I see Andrew Shaw there. So I feel like we've talked about Andrew Shaw once every few months when he gets some interesting role in Chicago. It never really pans out. Is there any reason to believe he could do something now? No, no. No, he has 11 (laughs) points in 35 games. And yes, like you could probably rewind to like seven or eight of our shows over the last two years and just play this little bit, which says Andrew Shaw gets opportunity. He doesn't take a whole lot of advantage. He occasionally scores a few points and goes on a small run. But that's essentially it. Okay, and the other player that maybe gets something is a player who's been called up from the minors, Toivo Teravainen. Did I pronounce that right? I don't know. (laughs) Well, he is, I suppose, a very heralded prospect. I've seen people on Twitter talking about him. Someone on our Facebook group actually asked, is Toivo worth a look? I took a look myself, saw he's going to be playing on the fourth line. But maybe he could earn his way up the depth chart if he plays well. Brian, what do you know about Toivo? Well, I know he's been doing pretty well in his first pro season or full pro season In the AHL with Rockford, he's got six goals and 17 assists for 23 points in 33 games. Remember, he was the Blackhawks' first round pick in 2012. He was picked 18th overall. He's going to do big things one day. I don't think that day is today or tomorrow or anytime in the next week or two. I think when Versteeg comes back, Tervinen goes down. It would have been a little good time for him to get some experience in the NHL. I don't expect him to light it up or be worth adding to your roster at this point. And the other injury news is coming out of Toronto, where just like that, two of their top six down. Joffrey Lupul, who had gotten onto that top line with Kessel and Bozak, and he was really starting to produce. Really bad timing, but I guess he's known for getting injuries, so we shouldn't be too surprised. He's going to be out a month. Also, Nazem Kadri is apparently out 7 to 10 days, which is very frustrating. These short injuries, you know, they usually just go on day-to-day. You can't even do anything with them. You don't know if you should drop them or not. Some leagues are lucky enough to have IR+, 
But okay, looking at the Leafs, Lupul and Kadri are out, and they played last night, did not play very well. The first line featured Kessel, Bozak, and Leo Komarov, and the second line had Van Riemsdyk, Santorelli, and new addition Trevor Smith. So I'm going to tell you, Brian, I don't even know who Trevor Smith is, and I hadn't heard too much about Komarov, so I'm curious to get your thoughts on these guys. Oh yeah, also Peter Holland is injured, so the Leafs are in, in trouble right now. The first power play has Van Riemsdyk, Bozak, Kessel, and then Fanuf and Franzen, and then, you know, a bunch of people that maybe aren't too interesting on the second unit. Is there anyone on Toronto who you would go out and grab of these names that I've said that you think will get a bump with an increased role? Or do you think the team is just in huge trouble and they're, they're going to fall apart? I think it's more that the team is going to fall apart. And if it wasn't going to be because of these injuries, it was just going to be because of the way they played already. But since both are happening, uh, it's it's not going to be a good time for the Toronto Maple Leafs, especially because Peter Holland, he seems like a background character to most people. But amongst forwards, he sees the worst zone start. So somebody else is going to have to eat those minutes that he's been taking and not doing so well in, but it would be very hard to do well in those. Nonetheless, somebody else is going to get bumped down and start more times in the defensive zone than they're used to. Kadri also starts more often in his defensive zone than a lot of his fellow Leafs forwards. So someone else is going to do that heavy lifting also. And Kadri actually, unlike Holland, has excellent possession numbers. He's got the best Corsi on the entire Maple Leafs roster. So he's good at driving possession. There aren't a lot of other players who are. And really what I kind of expect to happen here is that Bozak gets exposed. And that's such a silly thing to say because I think we all know that he's just a total anchor in terms of possession. And that whole first Leafs line is a real mess in terms of being able to generate offense. There was a great article from Travis Yost over at tsn.ca, you should go read it, about how the Leafs' first line compares to other first lines around the league. But for example, last night against Winnipeg, Leo Komarov, like you said, Elon, played on that top line. And then Randy Carlisle at the end of the game was like, this was one of Komarov's worst games so far. I didn't like his game so much. And it's like, of, of course, you didn't. He was playing with Tyler Bozak and Phil Kessel, who as good as Kessel is offensively, that line still gives up the majority of goals scored while they're on the ice. It's crazy, but it's true. So all this to say, Leafs are in trouble and your fantasy team hopefully doesn't rely on them. One guy I want to mention, I've wanted to mention for the last couple weeks, though, is James Van Riemsdyk. He's been on a point-per-game pace since November, and I feel like he doesn't get the credit he deserves. And again, he was part of that first line that has a terrible time generating shot attempts against the other team and gives up a ton against his own. But your fantasy league doesn't really track that. It tracks points. And he's been doing really well this year. Again, last year was a good year for him, too. All right, so I guess the takeaway here is if you have Kessel or Van Riemsdyk, you're probably okay. If you have any other Leafs, you're going to be in trouble for a bit. It also sounds like you're saying it's not a great time to own Bernier or Reimer. And it's worth mentioning, Jonathan Bernier has had a really good season. He has a 920 save percentage at this point and 15 wins in 28 appearances. Brian, you're suggesting that you think these numbers are going to be going down over the next little while? I guess it kind of has already started in his last two games. He had an 893 and an 897 save percentage. So not quality starts, according to that metric we talked about last week. Yeah, he's been up and down, but at even strength, he's actually been reasonably stable. And that's the only reason the Leafs really have a shot is the play of Jonathan Bernier. He did dip really badly at the start of December. But if you look at his 
10 game rolling save percentage. So what that means is it collects the last 10 games and gives you that save percentage. And as it moves forward, it drops the last game and adds the newest game. So this is a graph, right? Yeah, this is a graph available at War on Ice. It's actually really fun to look at. So if you go over, you can go over to the Players tab and then choose Goaltender History, go to Graphical by Game, and then select the number of games in the moving average, and you'll get to see their rolling save percentages. And Bernier's is actually, it's surprisingly healthy right now, but Elon, like you said, he's adding a couple bad games now to that rolling save percentage. He had some really good ones that are still helping him out in there. Once those drop off, I expect the graph to plummet downwards. If the Leafs do hang in over the next, you know, like 10, 15 games, he's going to be the reason. But I would not really want to be relying on him. Definitely not as my number one goalie in fantasy. Number two would be fine. Number three would be definitely okay, but you're not looking at a great situation for him right now, although Kadri won't be out for long. However, even once he does come back, all the other symptoms and roots of the problem will remain with the Toronto Maple Leafs, as long as Randy Carlyle's behind the bench, probably. Hmm, it kind of seems like all the news we've been reporting so far has been sad news with all these injuries. I guess the parent stuff was good, but let's cheer things up. We've got an outjury to report. Jaden Schwartz is finally back for the St. Louis Blues. He played his first game yesterday and got a goal and an assist in their romp of San Jose. So this is great news for Schwartz. And I was looking just at St. Louis in general. And one thing I noticed is while Schwartz has kept it up pretty much all season, I definitely think if you had him in your IR, you know, activate him right away. If he was dropped in your league, I think you want to pick him up. The guy's got 29 points in 32 games on the season. That's almost a point per game pace. That is much higher than I would have projected at the start of the year. And on the other side, his former line mate, Yori Lettera, has really dropped off. He was doing amazing this year. He was one of the big sleeper picks that had been panning out. He had six points in eight games in October, 15 points in 15 games in November, but then only four points in 13 games in December. What happened to Yori Lettera? So, Brian, I'll push it over to you. What are your thoughts on both Schwartz and Lettera at this point? Regression happened to Yori Lettera. Don't you know? That's that's what happens when someone is scoring way above their heads. We're not surprised. We warned you of this. And, okay, yes, it did last a little longer than I thought it would. But Yori Lettera now has just four points in his last 16 games. Actually, sorry, five points. A goal and four assists in his last 16 games. He has scored just one time since November 18th. That's a pretty long stretch for you to have a guy on your roster who's not doing a whole lot for you. Lots of zeros and ones in his shot on goal counts. There's not a whole lot special happening here. I mean, maybe he'll come back and he'll recover a little bit. This probably isn't the pace at which he's going to finish his season. This is probably a little drier of a run than he should be seeing. But if you had Lettera pegged as the point-a-game guy that he was at the start of the season... I don't think that you're very happy right now, and I'm sorry for your loss. Schwartz is the next guy, though. Like you said, Elon, 29 points in 32 games. He's not going to finish the year with 80 points. The only guy on that line who I feel confident that has a chance to do it is Vladimir Tarasenko, who is just chugging along, still has 41 points in 39 games played. So, Elon, I I don't know what to say. I know you were trying to lighten the mood with Schwartz coming back, but now I'm sort of putting a damper once more on the festivities with Yori Lettera, but hey, good for Tarasenko. Yay! <laughs> well, they are back together now, the, the three amigos, if you would. The STL line, Tarasenko, Schwartz, and Lettera are playing together. Maybe that will lead to a spark. 
Brian, I've seen that Lederer has been dropped in a number of leagues. If he was a free agent in your league, would you pick him up right now? Or do you think he's free agent fodder? I think as long as he remains with Schwartz and Tarasenko, that's a good place for him. I would like to add him, but I wouldn't drop anybody really great for him. Like, I'd drop somebody who's, say, a 50-point player or less. Actually, and this is a funny thing. I feel like every time we mention a player, we get a ton of questions. Should I drop Wingles for him? We should have, like, the Wingles swap index or something. Like, is Lettera worth a Wingles? (laughs) Okay, so is he? I don't think so. I don't think so, because Wingle's playing on a good line, he's doing fine. I wouldn't swap Wingle's for Lettera, but I might come off as as foolish in the long run for that. I think you're going to sound foolish a little bit sooner, because you're saying Wingle's is doing fine. He has zero points in his last six games. It definitely seems like Wingle's has fallen off. You know, I picked him up when he was hot, then he went cold, so I dropped him, then he got hot again. Now he's cold, I'm sure he'll get dropped in my league and I'll have to decide whether or not to pick him up, but I don't know if Wingles is the right scale, but yeah, we do get a lot of questions about him. You say you still want Wingles now that I've informed you of his current stats versus Lettera? Okay, it's about even. I liked him because of his line mates, but of course I briefly forgot what I had said moments earlier about Lettera's line mates, and I guess the X factor is Schwartz, if he can keep this up or not. I don't think he will, so I think that's going to affect Lettera a little bit. Wingles is still seeing time with Marlowe and Couture, and I like that. And I still feel like, well, he hits a lot, actually, which is what puts him over the top for me in leagues that count that. And he's still, I think, well, I don't know, his shot counts have waned a lot from the beginning of the season. And now we're starting to see some zeros and ones, but still some twos and threes, too. I don't know. I don't know now. It's kind of even. Thank you for asking me again so I can backpedal at least just a little bit on what I said. Okay, but I know there is one player that you don't want to backpedal on. Sticking with the Blues, at the beginning of the year when Paul Stastny was a total zero on his team, he wasn't really doing anything at the start of the year, which was especially surprising considering you were telling me that I should keep Pavelski over him. But good thing I didn't listen to you. But actually, lately, Stastny has picked things up And I know you must be excited about that. We actually talked about him last week, Elon, but he got dropped on the cutting room floor. Let's make up for it now. I I just wanted to point out that I've already been on this. I didn't need the last few games to really bring it to my attention. If we erase Stasny's first 12 games and the five points he scored in that time, that was miserable. Okay. But since then, he's got 14 points in 19 games, which is actually the equivalent of a 60-point pace. We've heard from so many frustrated pullies this year who don't know what to do with a guy, and I can't blame them, because before the season began, we thought the move to St. Louis would give him some offensive freedom that he never got in Colorado, where he played against other teams' top lines all the time. And now this year, he is seeing the benefits of moving to St. Louis. He's seeing far and away the easiest minutes of his career. He hasn't seen this many starts in the offensive zone since his sophomore season, and is also getting to avoid other teams' top lines. Those get left for Bacchus, Oshie, and Steen to deal with. The only thing is that in St. Louis, his line mates are unexpectedly Dimitri Yaskin and Patrick Berglund. Neither of those are known as offensive powerhouses. In fact, Berglund has had a tough time producing over the last few years and kind of has been making a name for himself as someone who tends more towards the defensive side of the game. Although this Yaskin guy, he's got five points in his last eight games, so maybe add him to your watch list. Stastny suffered from a seriously low on-ice save percentage, and right now his luck has swung wildly the other way. But I really do think that his pace stays closer to what it is right now than what it was in the first 12 games. Well, I hope so, Brian. It's time for you to get some redemption. I don't think he'll catch up to Pavelski, but definitely I think Stastny is 
at least a 50-point player, if not, like you say, potentially a 60-point player. And speaking of redemption, I think we might need some redemption, or maybe not, because it depends which episode you're referring to, but we had our goalie smorgasbord episode back in the off-season when we were previewing this upcoming season, and in that episode, you said that Rask, Lungfist, and Carey Price were in the top tier of goalies, and then... Next would be everyone else. Then the next episode, you came on and you said, you know what? I think I was a bit off about Carey Price. I'm going to put him in the second tier. I'm going to leave Rask and Lundqvist alone in that top tier. This season, though, Carey Price has been phenomenal. And I can't believe we haven't talked about him yet on the podcast. Price currently has a 929 save percentage on the year, 214 goals against average, 22 wins in 32 games. He is a fantasy stud. So, Brian, you were right. And then you were wrong. Elon, you left out the part that you were the one whose skepticism <laughs> sort of provoked the move of Carey Price from the top tier to below. But you know what? That skepticism is so badly needed in fantasy hockey and on this show. So thank you. And I think at the time when you asked why, and I went back to take a look at Carey Price's numbers, I said at the time I saw a lot of good stuff, but I hadn't seen enough. He hadn't done as much as Lundqvist or as much as Rask to be there. He was still like a speculative top tier guy. So we decided to make this a wait and see, a watch and see kind of season. And well, now that we are seeing, I think it's not so far fetched to see him in the top tier at the start of next season or even before the end of this one. But that's not really how tiers work. We use them for drafts, so it would be anyway. Okay, but he's been single-handedly winning games for the Habs and weeks for his fantasy owners all season. He's tied for first in the league in save percentage amongst goalies who have played more than 17 games this year, and he's sixth in quality start percentage in that same group. By the way, Rene is the guy that he's tied with in save percentage. Price has stopped, like you said, Elon, 92.9% of the shots he's faced this year, which puts him on track to match or exceed his career best that he set last season at 927. And what really gets me happy about his numbers is that his success is coming at even strength. His numbers aren't being buoyed by unsustainable numbers on the penalty kill. That's how Varlamov is managing a decent number so far by playing totally unsustainably on the penalty kill. Price is average, which is actually a good thing in terms of looking at his overall numbers and whether he can keep them up. So let's see if he can carry this through the second half of the season. He's been a total workhorse this year, and Montreal needs him to do it because the only category he may hurt you in if he cools down is in wins. But for now, he's managing to earn those all by himself on many nights. What I'm trying to say is that Montreal isn't going to carry him to victory too many times. Elliot Friedman said last night on Hockey Night in Canada that Price is his vote for MVP if he had to vote right now for the Hart Trophy. And in fantasy, I don't think he'd be far off to do the same. Carey Price has been phenomenal. All right, so we got to have some fun here, Brian. I'm going to put you on the spot. Who do you want? If you could have any goalie for the rest of the season... Carey Price. Take Price? You, you want Price over Lundqvist? I'm not even going to listen to the rest of your question. Carey Price. Honestly, I, I'm sold. Even Lundqvist? Is that what you were going to ask? Yeah. What would you do? Oh. <laughs> 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 it's tough. Lundqvist has been amazing lately. Price has been amazing. Rene has been amazing. I guess I still want Lundqvist, but I think Price would be my number two. Yeah. For now. I wish I had these options in real life. Like I said before, the only category where Price concerns me is wins. If he can't do it all for his team, 
I don't think the Habs can do it all without him, and his numbers are going to suffer, his value will suffer. So say a guy like Rene, who's seeing more goal support and probably more consistent goal support in Nashville, he'd have the upper hand in that case, but I I feel like there's no goalie I'd want to start every night more than Price right now. Okay, next up on the show, I want to bring back a segment that we used to do during season one of Keeping Carlson, which I'm sure not many of you are listening to, but that's okay. We're glad to have you now. But the name of this segment is Sustainable or Fleeting. And what I'm going to do is mention some players who are on super hot streaks right now, and then Brian is going to say whether he thinks these hot streaks are sustainable, and they're going to continue at least at a somewhat consistent pace, or they're fleeting and this player is for sure going to drop off. Don't buy into the hype. And I want to start with Johnny Gaudreau on the Calgary Flames, who's having an amazing season. Brian, you and I both drafted him in our pools that we're doing separately from each other, and then both dropped him like a couple of weeks in because he was getting no playing time, nothing was happening. Probably a mistake. He's got 31 points in 39 games on the season so far, and seven goals and one assist in his last six. So Johnny Gaudreau is on fire. Brian, is that sustainable or fleeting? Oh god, I hope it's fleeting. I dropped him and the number one team in my league picked him up and has been riding him for so long. And when I watch the guy, I wish, I wish he was on my fantasy team. He is so exciting and so fun to watch. I'm going to say fleeting though, because his on ice shooting percentage is too high. His personal shooting percentage is too high. And we've been saying this all season long. And we've been saying that we've been saying this all season long about the Calgary Flames. But I just don't know how this can possibly continue for the rest of the season. I still definitely want to give Goudreau his due, though. I I just want to point out, so there's a stat called goals for percentage. And it illustrates of all the goals scored while a player is on the ice, how many are for that player's team. So when Goudreau is off the ice, 45 or 46% of goals scored are against Calgary. While he's on the ice, 59% are scored for Calgary. So he's been a huge part of Calgary's success this year. Will it continue all season? I hope so for him. I don't hope so for his fantasy owner in my league. And I don't think he will. Okay, next up, defenseman on the Columbus Blue Jackets, Kevin Connaughton. Another guy who I definitely hadn't heard of going into the season. And I still hadn't heard of him a month, maybe two in. But all of a sudden, this guy is on fire. He's got nine points, five goals, and four assists in his last 10 games for a defenseman behind Johnson and Wisniewski on the depth chart. What is happening? Is there a new top defenseman in Columbus? Like, does this decrease the value of Johnson and Wisniewski? Who is this guy, Brian? And is his pay sustainable or fleeting? Elon, nobody replaces James Wisniewski in Columbus. Definitely not. Kevin Connaughton, except it it has been a really good year for him. He was a late third-round pick of the Canucks back in 2009. He's never been a top producer in the AHL, kind of like a 25-30 point guy, usually like second on his team. He was traded from the Canucks to Dallas for Derek Roy. He didn't do much there, just 10 points in 44 games with the Stars. So the Stars waived him. And then Columbus claimed him because they were dealing with like a million injuries. And it's been a great match for both ever since. He's gotten a bump in minutes and a bigger bump in his Corsi relative. So that means he's doing well in shot attempts for compared to the rest of his team. And and that's not necessarily going to influence production, but it's a nice thing to have, especially if a player wants to earn more ice time. It's something that can put him in the coach's favor. But more importantly, he's getting power play time. Playing with Wisniewski at even strength and on the power play, 
He's got a really good shot according to Hockey Prospectus. I have yet to see it myself. And there's nothing screaming out to me, though, that he's a new 35 or 40 point guy to be running for. But I suppose I would consider riding him for the duration of this streak. I would say probably fleeting, but maybe a little bit sustainable. Can we do that? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to ask you to say whether, oh, is Connaughton going to continue to have nine points in 10 games or not? Like, obviously, the answer is fleeting. But it sounds like you're saying, obviously, he won't keep up this pace. But you do think he's a good speculative ad at this point if he's still available in people's leagues. Yeah, Wisniewski is a fun guy to be playing with. The, The biggest downside of having him on your team is that he doesn't do a whole lot for you in terms of peripherals. He gets, you know, maybe a hit, a block, and a shot on goal or two each game. So if he's not producing, he's not going to do anything else for you, really. But on the blue line, five on four with James Wisniewski is a good place to be. So hopefully he can take advantage of that for as long as it lasts. He only has two power play points so far, so he's not really cashing in there. But as long as that lasts, he is somebody, at least on your watch list, like to consider for, you know, a fourth or fifth defenseman. Or actually maybe more like fifth or sixth. Okay, and for the next player, let's go back to Florida. It seems like we can't do an episode without talking about a Panther. Jimmy Hayes, who you mentioned a while back as someone to take a look at in Florida. Since then, he kind of cooled off, but then lately he has really heated up. He's got four goals and one assist in his last five games. He's on the top line and the top power play on Florida alongside other great breakout player Nick Bukestad. Do you think that Jimmy Hayes is someone that must be owned in the majority of leagues at this point, or is he still someone that needs to be staying on the watch list? He's been on a nice little run. I think he's probably a half a point per game player in the long run, though. He's getting good power play time right now, which is helping. He has two power play points in his last two contests. He's playing with Bjugstad and Huberdo on that first unit. He's not a must-add right now, I don't think. I think, Elon, you added him, and why did you add him? What was your situation? Where does he slot in on your roster? Well, I mainly added him because Patrick Hornquist got injured and I needed to pick up a right wing. I was deciding between him and Michael Froelich on Winnipeg. It's a pretty deep league. I ended up going with Hayes and so far it's worked out pretty well. But yeah, I don't plan on keeping him long term. I guess once Hornquist comes back, I'll see whether or not to keep Hayes or Mark Shifley. I guess they're pretty even right now. I don't know. Good thing I still have some time to think about it. In the long run, I'd probably like Shifley, but hey, you don't need to make the decision now, so I don't need to give you advice now. Well, I look forward to asking for it when I need it. Next player, insustainable or fleeting? Let's talk about Vincent LaCavalier, who was just atrocious last season, like basically completely fell off of fantasy relevance. He had only 37 points, and then this season started with much of the same. At the end of November, he only had six points in 16 games. It seemed like this was definitely the end of Vincent LeCavalier's career as, you know, a must-own fantasy hockey asset for sure, and even like a top six player on his team. But all of a sudden, LeCavalier has picked up five goals and one assist in his last seven games. So he's back to being a force. He's still a free agent in my league. He's a right wing. I could replace one of those other guys I just mentioned with him. So Brian, I'm especially curious to know, do you think that LeCavalier's current surge is sustainable or fleeting? Definitely fleeting. From what I've gotten as a sense from reading various blogs and articles about the Philadelphia Flyers, I don't think they love having him on their team right now. And yeah, since he's been producing, he's gotten a couple more minutes a game, which is nice. But his line mates have, for the most part, remained Chris Vandeveld and Pierre-Edouard Bellemare. Neither of them known as 
particularly prolific producers, or even necessarily NHLers. It's very nice for Le Cavalier to have another run now, but I do think he's probably got to ride off into the sunset one of these days. I would leave him as a free agent for sure. All right, at this point, we're not finished the Sustainable or Fleeting segment. I still have some more players I want to ask Brian about, but let's take a second to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson. We really appreciate everyone who has decided not only to listen. We definitely appreciate all of our listeners, and we thank you for taking the time to listen to our humble advice every week. But there are some people who have been going even above and beyond and are helping to support the show financially $5 a month, they get access to our Facebook group, our patron-only Facebook group, where we're discussing fantasy hockey all of the time. People are asking questions, posting screenshots of their free agents and going like, who should I pick up? And then everyone chimes in. It's a lot of fun. Also, we have an upcoming patron cast, which, Brian, we definitely need to schedule, actually. That's going to be in the next couple of weeks. So it's a fun time to be a patron. And if you want to become a patron, you can do so. Just go to keepingcarlson.com patron, and you could read all about it. And I want especially to thank for this week, Stefan Daniel Kali Tuomainen from Finland. He said he was curious to see if I'd be able to pronounce his name right. I wonder if I did. And Connor Schlosser from Herndon, Virginia, United States. Thank you so much to all of you for supporting the show. And like I said, anyone else who wants to become a patron, just check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. I would be a patron if I wasn't a host. What a guy. Okay, let's get back to sustainable or fleeting. I'm really enjoying this segment. Hopefully we won't blow our whole list of players and then we'll have no one to talk about next week. But we just got to get them out now so that people can react before it's too late. Next, let's talk about Matthew Perot. Who, Brian, this is one of your shining stars of the season because you mentioned him on an episode right as he was starting to break out. You were like, oh, people, you should actually go after Matthew Perot. This isn't just a flash in the pan. You were mentioning stuff about his shooting percentage and his deployment and all of this stuff. It's a few weeks later. Perot has seven goals and seven assists in his last 14 games. So he has totally panned out as being a legit player on most people's teams if they picked him up, but he's still available in lots of leagues. Brian, Matthew Perot, is this pace sustainable or fleeting? Are you ready for this? I'm actually, I think I'm going to say sustainable. Like, not necessarily at this rate, but I think the last several games illustrate better what he can do than his first bunch of games. He had a terrible start to the year, which is what made him such a great candidate as like a sleeper kind of ad. And he's really delivered. Over his last 13 games, he scored at least a point in 12 of them. He has four power play points in his last five games. He's putting shots on goal regularly. He's got good line mates. His percentages look okay. The Jets are doing well. There's so many things looking good for Mathieu Perot. And I know I've said this before when talking about him, but just to sort of back up my point once more is that He looked good in Washington, and he looked good in Anaheim. He just didn't get sustained looks in those places. He's getting that in Winnipeg, and I really like them right now. He's got 20 points in 38 games right now. I think he's probably a 50-point player over the course of a whole season. 50-point player? He's got 14 points in his last 14 games, and you're telling me he's a 50-point player? To me, that sounds like fleeting, not sustainable. Okay, so yes, I suppose when I'm saying sustainable, I'm not saying that he's going to get 82 points in a season because of his current point-per-game pace. I'm saying that he's closer 
to, well, say maybe 60 than he is to 40. Is that a little more interesting for you, Elon? Yeah, sounds good. You're saying Matthew Perot is a guy that should be owned. And I think that's the whole point of this segment at the end of the day. I'm mentioning people who are free agents, likely, and whether or not you should be grabbing them. Or you might have them already on your team, and there might be somebody really interesting in free agency, and you're considering making the swap for that guy, right? Matthew Perot is owned in 10% of Yahoo Leagues. I imagine he can help you out in more than 10% of Yahoo Leagues. One guy who's almost definitely not available in most leagues, so I'm veering away from our premise a little bit, but definitely still worth mentioning, is Kari Letnin, starting goalie for the Dallas Stars. He was just so bad at the start of the year. We were getting so many questions on Twitter and Facebook about if people should trade him or maybe drop him. So maybe he is available, who knows. But Letnin is currently on a four-game win streak, which is very exciting. Dallas is doing really well right now, and Letnin has definitely been holding his own. So, Brian, I guess my sustainable or fleeting question is really, is Letnin more like how he was at the beginning of the year, or is he more like he is now? I'm going to say closer to what he's doing now, although I'm not saying what he's doing now is sustainable. Let's just take a look at the big picture for a second. He still stands at a terrible 909 save percentage on the year. But here at Keeping Carlson, we know better than that. Over the last month, his save percentage has been pretty healthy overall. And since December 15th, he's played eight games and posted a 950 save percentage in that span. He's another guy that if you check out his 10-game rolling save percentage over at War on Ice, you're going to see good things. I actually posted a screenshot of it on our Twitter account. If you're not following us already, you should be at Keeping Carlson. The Dallas Stars are working themselves back into playoff contention, and Lettinen's play has been a part of that. So if you've got him, just take a moment to enjoy what he's been doing for you lately, because I imagine there's a lot of pent-up anger there. If you don't own him, and you can get him at a low price from someone who hasn't been looking very hard for the last few weeks, then I suggest you give that a go. He's somebody I'd want on my team for the rest of the season. I wouldn't want him on my team for like the first 25 or 30 games of it. But I think we're good now. I think Letnin, he's on track. I think the Stars are finally maybe beginning to figure things out. They're putting wins together. They're getting points. They're going to be in a tight playoff race before you know it. He's much more of an asset today than a liability. Well, I made my prediction, I think on an earlier show or on a patron cast, I don't remember, but I said when everyone was saying that Lettinen's the worst, he had just been off his horrible streak, and I said, I just have a feeling he'll have some value come the fantasy hockey playoffs, you should hold on. So I'm very curious to see what he'll do in those last three weeks of the season when it counts most for us. And I guess let's stick with this theme now of players who you definitely don't have available to you, but maybe you were considering dropping at some point. And if you did, he's probably already snapped up and you really blew it because Anche Kopitar is finally back. He had such a horrible start to the season and everyone was wondering, is this it? Like maybe he's not the guaranteed 70 point guy that we always thought he was. But in his last nine games, he has two goals and 14 assists. So he is making up for lost time. That brings him to 29 points in 37 games on the season. So if he even slows down a little bit from his current pace, he'll still definitely get back on pace for his 70 points, which he seems to always get. So Brian, I think I know the answer to this, but Kopitar is his pace and not the current pace of like 14 points in nine games, but getting back on track to get the 70 points that we would have expected from him. Is that sustainable or fleeting? Is it going to happen? 
sustainable. We had a patron, or maybe it was someone on Twitter, I think it was in the patron group though, where somebody was looking to make a deal, wondering if they should make a deal for Kopitar, because if they traded for him, he was a can't-cut guy, and they would have to keep him on their roster for the rest of the season, no questions asked. And he was looking at the time, like, in, like, a shallower league, like, I don't know if I want this guy on my team with what he did. He had just 10 points in his first 21 games, and everybody was scared, and I believe we advised to make that deal. Oh, yeah, we did. We said take Kopitar. I hope he did it. Let us know. Yeah, because Kopitar is above a point per game since the 1st of December. And that 1st of December mark was really like he hit rock bottom in terms of his points and percentages. But it's not like anything was really going badly before that. It just wasn't working out for him. But since then, he's doing really well and doing even better than he was at the beginning of the season when everything was going right except the production. Now he's got everything going really right plus the production. And you can see that in both his underlying and overlying numbers. Kopitar is a fantastic guy to have. As always, he's sustainable. Not a big surprise there. Congratulations if you held on or bought low. Okay, and one last player in the list for today. Let's talk about Thomas Tatar. Brian, you recommended him many episodes back. And since then, or I'm not sure exactly since when, but he's got... 15 goals and 10 assists in his last 29 games. So 25 points in his last 29 games. That is superstar production. Is Tatar going to keep this up or is it unsustainable? Fleeting. What Tatar is doing right now is sustainable. I think more or less. We talked about him a lot a month or two ago on the show about being a guy who is great at getting goals per 60 minutes. But the problem that you brought up, Elon, with that stat was that goals per 60 minutes only matters a lot if the guy is starting to get more ice time. If he has really good goals per 60 minutes, but is only playing 10 or 11 minutes a game, it's not all that helpful. Well, Tatar's ice time has increased on average by, you know, just a couple minutes, nothing huge. Like he's still seeing 15 minutes or so, which isn't great. I'd love to see him see 17 or 18 minutes, but it's certainly nothing to sneeze at. It looks as though he's established himself in Detroit, although there wasn't much question about that. I like what he's doing a lot. Before, I saw him as kind of like a marginal ad for most teams. In fact, I added him to my team and then dropped him when I think I had someone coming off of IR. I wish I held on to him now because I think he's going to be legit for the rest of the season, worth owning in pretty much all leagues, I think. Okay, well, there was our first 2015 edition of Sustainable or Fleeting. Let us know on Twitter, at Keeping Carlson, if you like that segment. We've kind of changed the format a bit this episode. Let me know if you've noticed and if you liked it. But okay, next I want to do a quick little thing where I'm going to tell you some players who are newly on their team's first line. These are not guys who are owned in your league, most likely, so you could decide whether or not this bump in their team's depth chart means they should be added. Brian, I want to get your opinion. I've got three players for you. Colton Skivior is currently on the top line in Dallas, playing with Ben and Sagan. Always a good spot, but kind of always a revolving spot. We've mentioned a lot of players who have been there throughout the season. Josh Bailey is playing with Ocposo and Tavares currently on the island. And Danny Briere on Colorado, who, you know, some people might not have realized he was still in the league, but he's still there. He's actually doing pretty well right now and playing with Matt Duchesne and Gabriel Landeskog. So, Brian, of those three names, Skivior, Bailey, Briere, are any of them people that people should be adding, watchlisting? What's your take on these three? Okay, let's go from least interesting to most interesting. I think Danny Briere is a guy I have almost no interest in. He has been a healthy scratch this year. He has just nine points in 31 games playing on the top line, especially like on a Colorado team where everybody is still trying to figure things out. 
it's not going to help him much. So Briere, forget about. I think he's done in terms of fantasy relevance. Bailey is probably the best player of the three you mentioned, except he's not going to stay on that top line for very long. He'll find his way somewhere else in the top nine in New York and will continue being like a reasonable producer. I know sometimes he goes on these like big runs that people can really count on to help their team, except you can't really count on it because you don't know when it's going to happen. So if you want to have him on your roster all year, then by all means, you're going to be probably wasting a spot for a lot of that chunk, depending on who's available in free agency, but he's not a bad guy to add. I wouldn't expect him to last very long on that first line, though. And finally, Colton Sevier on the first line in Dallas is probably the most interesting Elon. I remember last season, towards the end of the year, I noticed that he was called up. He was playing with, I think, Jamie Benn at the time, and it was very exciting, and I suggested that somebody add him. It's like, yeah, just just grab him if you have a spot to fill. And then he scored the next game, and it was really exciting. It was one of my big hits, or my first big hits as a Keeping Carlson host. He's done really well lately. He's got seven points in his last ten games. Mind you, two of those have come in blowout wins against Arizona and Minnesota, not teams known very well for their defense. Also, another point came against Edmonton, another against New Jersey, I, you know, I could pick apart every player's schedule and say, well, this point doesn't really count because it was against this team, but he is still putting up points. As long as he's on that first line, I think he actually is a fairly relevant guy. If you've got somebody who's regressed a lot and fallen off from a hot streak that they were on, say, when you added them like three or four weeks ago, or maybe you've got someone who's snoozing on your team right now, and we'll get to that at the end of the show, Colton Sevier is a pretty decent pickup right now, but he's still a short-term one. I wouldn't get too enamored with him and plan to have him on my roster for a very long time, just to ride this one out and see where it goes. And Elon, one more name that I want to put out there to add to this group speculatively is Andre Burakovsky. By the time this podcast is out, we might know whether or not he did play on the first line, but there was speculation based on practice lineups that he would be the next forward to get a turn alongside Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom. He'd be like the eighth or ninth guy to be in that position so far this year. Another revolving door there as the third spot on the top line in Washington. Burakovsky, we've talked about him. Elon, you mentioned him as kind of a snoozer. He's been scratched a lot. He hasn't been scoring a whole lot at all. And so maybe that part of it isn't entirely relevant because, I don't know, he might be there for two or three games, get a short turn, or maybe not even a full game there. We don't know. But for owners of Tom Wilson, who are counting on him to continue producing on that top line, it's time to get that little bit of a reality check. He's got nothing over the last seven games. He has nine points in 26 games this year. Lots of penalty minutes, lots of hits. If you want those peripherals, you can have him on your team, but you shouldn't have him on your team hoping for any kind of continued point production. Okay, and I guess that brings us to that time of the show where I say that we're almost done and then we still talk for another 10, 20 minutes. But Brian, give us the lightning round. Who are some guys that are on your mind that our listeners need to know about? Let's start with just a quick appreciation for Andre Vasilevsky. I don't think we ever really followed up after shouting at everyone on Twitter to pick him up when Bishop got hurt for what was then an indefinite amount of time. We didn't know how good of a look he'd get in Tampa, how long the injury would last, but while he was there, the high-end goaltending prospect posted a 937 save percentage in four games, and it looks like he's going to get another call here and there over the rest of the season. There's kind of a sense that every now and again... Vasilevsky is going to get called up, Nabokov is going to get scratched, or he'll back up, and Vasilevsky will get another game in. So not enough to be necessarily relevant for your team, but there's no way that this guy should be a free agent 
in your keeper league or in a reasonably deep keeper league. If you're only keeping one or two goalies, okay, I understand. But if you have a farm system, he's likely long gone. And if he's not, he should be. You make that happen. But Brian, isn't Ben Bishop signed for a long time in Tampa? Like when really can we start to expect Vasilevsky becoming a relevant goalie in the NHL? Yeah, Ben Bishop is signed for another two full seasons after this one. And I suppose it's at that point that the Lightning are going to have a decision to make. It's hard to think that they're going to want to part with Bishop, especially because he gave them stability in net after so many years without it. Like, do you remember? They had Rolison and Garon not long ago. But yeah, it'll be at that point that the Lightning really have a chance to consider what they want to do with their future. I still think he's worth having. Like, I think he's one of the top goaltending prospects, not in the NHL right now. So you should probably have him, like, and assuming your league is built some way that you have, like, a farm team or a prospect system, he should be in it. And now is actually a good time because I did just look up contract info to mourn for a moment the loss of CapGeek. The owner shut it down yesterday for personal and health-related reasons, so I just want to say we wish CapGeek and Matthew, who is the guy behind it, all the best. Uh, If you ever use CapGeek and you want to send a tweet of support, I think that would be appropriate. It was an amazing, amazing website, irreplaceable. For now, you can go over to nhlnumbers.com and choose players or teams, and that'll help you sort of pick through team salary situations But there was nothing as clear and comprehensive and so helpful at explaining things as CapGeek was. So it will be dearly missed. Yeah, we definitely wish Matt all the best. Brian, who's next in the lightning round? Jamie McBain of the LA Kings. I don't know if you remember Elon, but a few years back, this guy was being touted as the next big things on the blue line. He was going to get 40 points easily, maybe more. That was the word on him in his rookie and sophomore seasons in Carolina. That didn't really turn out. His career high to date is 30 points, and that was back in his second pro year in the 2010-11 season. In fact, it didn't even look like he'd get to play this season after the Coyotes released him from a professional tryout contract in training camp. But the Kings signed him in November, and he's really been making the most of it. He has two goals and five assists in 15 games with three power play points. Not a ton of shots and seeing high personal and team shooting percentages. He's also seeing the easiest, even strength minutes of his career being totally sheltered on the third pairing. And that's helping him. But he's also doing pretty crummy possession-wise, which probably won't help him in his quest to continue earning ice time. So there's nothing to love about the guy. Like I said, he's third pairing, except that he's managing to put up a few points and he is getting time on the King's second power play unit. In a very deep league, you could take him for a spin or just add him to your watch list. And finally, let's round out the lightning round with Mike Hoffman of the Ottawa Senators. He scored his team-leading 12th goal of the season yesterday in Boston. He's playing on a very fun line with Bobby Ryan and Mika Zibanejad. I should say the goal was kind of fluky. He, like, kicked it in midair, like a shot that was going way wide. But, hey, it still counts. He's got seven points at even strength since the coaching change in Ottawa. Bobby Ryan has eight points in that span, which is also worth noting. The most impressive thing about what Mike Hoffman's done, though, all 12 of his goals have come at even strength. All seven of his assists, too, have also come at even strength. He's actually fourth in the entire NHL at five-on-five goals per 60 minutes. He's behind Kucherov and ahead of Tarasenko. 
that's good company. And we already said this, Elon, I know you don't love those per 60 stats because they only suggest what could happen if the player got more ice time. Well, he has seen his time on ice increase fairly steadily since Dave Cameron came behind the bench in Ottawa, having become more likely to see 15 or 16 minutes each game versus 12 or 13. We already talked about Tatar and you know, you had some reluctance towards him, and to be fair, so did I, and things are going well for Tatar now. I think they will for Mike Hoffman, too. Yeah, Hoffman is looking good. Bobby Ryan is looking good. I think that what I feared in a previous episode, that Ottawa might be becoming a team you don't want players on, that's probably not the case anymore. There's a lot of exciting people over there that I would be happy to have on my roster if I could get them. Brian, snoozer time. Who do people have on their roster, potentially, that they need to take another look at because they are probably not helping them and they could do a lot better by picking up one of the many free agents we've mentioned on this episode. You might remember somebody by the name of Nick Benino. He had 19 points in his first 23 games played with Vancouver. So yeah, now he has two points in his last 14 games and has kind of disappeared. Just one goal in his last 23 games. He has not scored since November 6th. And he's playing right now on, well, I don't know if it's a second or third line, but most of his time is being spent with Yannick Hansen and Chris Higgins. Neither one is really going to spark a lot of offense from him, I don't think. I remember listening to the radio here in Ottawa in the preseason, and they were interviewing Pierre Maguire. And he was saying that Nick Benino is going to be a great guy to have in fantasy this year. I'm driving. I, like, righteously scoffed at the notion that Nick Benino was going to be worth anything in fantasy this year. And then I kind of had my tail between my legs after that, once Benino broke out with that fantastic start. But I'm happy to say now that I'm pretty sure I was right and Pierre was wrong. Benino is closer to a half-point-per-game player than his start and Pierre Maguire would have led you to believe. I don't think you should feel bad about dropping him for somebody that's doing a lot better lately and who is at least a half a point per game player now or way up above that on a hot streak. There are a few candidates that we've mentioned earlier in the show that would be a good fit instead of Nick Benino on your team. Don't be nervous about dropping him just because of that start. And hey, if you do end up dropping Benino and picking someone up who we mentioned on the show... I'd be really curious to know about that. So please tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. Keep us posted with what you heard on the show that compelled you to make a move. Also, in general, you might want to follow us on Twitter. Again, at Keeping Carlson. Lots of helpful hints throughout the week, as you know, all these new players are going on their first lines, or players on hot streaks, or Brian thinks someone is not sustainable. You get sort of mini episodes of Keeping Carlson in 140 characters every single time Brian tweets. Also, of course, we really appreciate it when our listeners give us a five-star review on iTunes. So if you haven't done that yet... Go ahead, you know, it doesn't cost you anything, should only take a second, and it really helps out the show, I think. That's the best way for us to get new listeners. For everyone who has left us a five-star review on iTunes, thank you so, so much. Also, as I said before, thank you so much to the patrons of Keeping Carlson. If you're interested, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. I'm going to stop rambling now. Let's cue that outro music, and Brian, read us the credits. Okay, this episode was presented by Daily Faceoff and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, NHL Numbers, Behind the Net, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great job, Brian. Looking forward to doing this all again next week. Until then, Elon, I hope you and everyone out there keeps on keeping Carl Sand.